Welcome to CarePod, a safe place to educate, inspire, and renew the caregiver. Listen in with our host, Dr. Kipley Bell, as she interviews different experts along the caregiving journey. Chanel McCord is a licensed professional counselor in New Jersey, an approved clinical supervisor, and a certified clinical trauma professional. She is currently in pursuit of a doctorate in counselor education and supervision and holds a Master of Arts in Professional Counseling from Liberty University and a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from Seton Hall University. As part of her clinical work, Chanel specializes in working with black and brown individuals who are experiencing unfulfillment in their lives and having lost their voice due to unprocessed trauma. Chanel utilizes the power of strength identification, storytelling, and emotional processing to assist her clients in reaching restoration and healing to begin living a more fulfilled life. As a minister, Chanel also provides faith-based Christian spirituality integration into her therapeutic practices to assist clients who are struggling with or wanting to explore their spirituality. Chanel is a well-sought-after mental health speaker. She is passionate about spreading mental health awareness, breaking stigma, normalizing therapy, and helping people to embrace their humanity. So we have fire today. I am very excited to have a guest with me that I have a, a, a great deal of respect for, uh, Minister Chanel McCord in the house, in the Care Pod house with us today, who is also a licensed counselor speaking to the needs of the mental health that so many suffer from and also has a unique ability to utilize spirituality integration into the, the various pain points that we all encounter along this journey. So I really wanted to speak with her, bring her into the care pod, introduce her to our care pod audience, specifically as care givers, you know, it, it's literally a day-to-day, moment-to-moment, minute-to-minute energy uh, mm-hmm. that is, you know, it, it's an endurance. It, it's a long haul right. for many caregivers. Right. So I, I wanted to bring you in into the house today. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here, Dr. Kipley. Yes. So I ask all my CarePod guests their why. Tell me, you know, briefly your journey on when did you really recognize that you had this unique ability to mm. to really craft and steer the mental health abilities of people and also, you know, upgird their lives in a way that it can affect positive outcomes. Right. So, you know, for me, I have a new, a unique journey for becoming a therapist, right? You know, some people enter the field because they have family or curiosities and stuff. I can honestly say I was called from a young age to do this and I didn't realize it was a calling back then. You know, my mom studied uh, psychology when she was in college. I was probably like eight, nine years old. And I remember I would pick up her textbooks at home and I would just read through her psychology books. And so I thought if I studied psychology, my path was to become 
become a psychologist, I would be able to control people's minds, right? <laughs> so my nine, my nine-year-old self was like, yes, I'm gonna be a psychologist because then I can control people's minds and I can solve mysteries and I'm gonna be a great detective, right? And that is kind of how I got into the field, but I never I never got off course from the path, right? And um, I got into the field. I've worked in so many settings. I've worked in the juvenile justice system. I've worked in home. I've done outpatient. I've done foster adoptive. I've like you've done it. You name it, I've done it. Um, outside of working in a hospital, and for me, the the changing point, the tipping point, was coming off of one of the worst points in my life. I was a therapist um, and I was a minister at the time. And in 2006, the Lord had blessed my husband and I to get pregnant. And unfortunately, at about five months, I lost that pregnancy. And that unraveled my life. It unraveled my life because it led to blood clots. I had a saddle pulmonary embolism, ended up in ICU. The doctors didn't think I was going to make it through the night. I lost my ability to walk. So I had to relearn how to walk at this time. I was only 28 years old, right? Um, and I lost my mind. I lost my ever-loving mind, right? I was already minister. I was already the therapist. I was already doing all of the things. And I completely lost my mind. And Coming off of that, I always say I have a, a BC and an AD of being a therapist. The BC, you know, as um as I've said before, and I've heard it said to me, was me talking at people about their problems. After I went through what I went through, I was talking with people because I understood what it meant to be depressed. I understood what it meant to be anxious. I understood what it means to be in the ring and not like trying all of the things and nothing is actually working for me. And I feel like when I got to that point in 2006, 2007, that's when my ministry, I like to call it, um, 2016, I said 2006, 2016, 2017, that's when my ministry uh, for counseling came about. And that's when my I um, birthed my practice, right? It literally was out of that, that God used that thing to give me my true why. That's when my practice came about. Then the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, um, while it was one of the worst things that we faced in our country, it was also one of the best things for me as a therapist and business-wise because I got to connect with people on a different level. I saw people on a different level. And it was at that point where I was able to make the connection that, you know what, this is what I'm called to do. And not just on a couch, but to be able to speak, um, mount platforms and be able to give people the awareness and the knowledge that they need. And I, I feel you so much on all of that, because as we say all the time, you know, every doctor should be a patient or, you know, mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. even furthermore, every doctor should be a caregiver. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had someone say to me the other day, you know, I could empathize with what you were saying, but now actually going through that thing. I can really, you know, yeah. really understand it at a level that Absolutely. you can't I've even put words to. And it, it mm -hmm. does make you so much more effective in your work because you're able to resonate with people on a level of saying, yep, been there, done that. Yeah. I, yeah. I understand. You know I like to call it the difference between, because when you're a professional expert in your field, you get all of this book knowledge, right? 
And I think sometimes the book knowledge clouds our ability to be human. Yeah. And and, and depending on what your profession is, like there's certain rules you got to stick to. Like I'm sure, you know, as a doctor, you got to stick to certain things. And as a therapist, it's like you got to stick to certain things. But when I went through the devastation in my life, it showed me humanity. And it helped me to connect with people on their humanity and not just a patient, a client, or a case. Absolutely. And something, you know, it's funny because these were this, I never prepare for guests. Guests always Mm -hmm. say, oh, do you have questions for me? I'm like, no, we're just going to flow. But for you, there was one question that I thought, and it's already, we're already segueing into it, which was or is about this kind of when you talk about the things right the things that we have to stick to and we talk Mm -hmm. about transference and counter transference Mm -hmm. what what is kind of how is that line blurred you know how do we push that bar you know I certainly push it in clinical practice in that Mm -hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll say to a patient, I'll say to a patient's family, yeah, I'm a, I'm a daughter. My mom's 87. Yep, I get mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. you know, but yet from an academic standpoint, yes, we are not to kind of right. share these personal, you know, yeah. aspects of our lives into patient yeah. care, etc. So mm-hmm. wh- how does that, how does that uh, translate for you in terms of the things, like the things that you yeah. stick to, but what you find that, what that ball that you push that has really caused you to break through uh, with your clients? Yeah, you know, that's a great question and um, something that I've really been voicing and pushing lately. So it's funny that you you say it um, because for me, so there's this whole idea out here specifically in mental health about decolonizing mental health, right? Decolonizing mental health. And I think specifically because I my niche is more so working with black and brown communities, right? These marginalized communities. And what I find is that in our community, connection is the key to healing. Connection is the key to healing. So when I talk about that BC and that AD of being a therapist, BC, I was not connecting with my clients because there was, you were just the case. Let's focus on you and what your issues are, what your problems were. AD, because I understood in such a deeper way, I have no problem with sharing clients. There are some of my clients that know about my miscarriage, that know that I lost my mind, that know that I'm on anxiety medication. And what I found is for them, it it, it makes them feel human. It makes them feel normal. It helps It helps to normalize the issues and concerns that they have. Because when you're going through a battle, especially a mental health battle, oftentimes you feel like you're in it by yourself. Like you don't feel like anybody else in the world is dealing with depression. Nobody else is dealing with an anxiety. Nobody else is dealing with whatever the diagnosis is. So there's something about normalizing, wow, I'm not the only one that goes through it. And I believe it blesses them to hear that even my therapist, you know, even this professional- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. expert or whatever the case is, it's still human and they still get it because there's still this stigma, right? Specifically around mental health, there's still a stigma with the system and that, you know, especially in black and brown communities, that mental health, oh, we don't do that. We don't talk about that. Or I'm not a social worker, but the idea that social workers just come to take your children out of your home and people <laughs> still have this distrust towards the system. And so I feel like as a provider of the system, the more that I'm able to humanize 
recognize myself, the more it helps my clients to open up and to tap into a place and they become human. I will never forget I had a client who she would always check in on me and I thought it was the great, I thought it was so sweet. She always wanted to check in on me before she started dumping on me like her stuff, right? And I remember stopping one day and telling her, girl, this is your space. Got a therapist. I go see my therapist once a month. We still talk or whatever the case is and I'm good. And I remember her stopping and saying, you don't know how much that blesses me to know that you're getting the care and the help that you need. And that frees me up to be able to put my stuff on you, right? And so I feel like when we talk, like you said, no disclosure and crossing those lines and stuff like that, that may have been for a time, but that is not the time and day that we're in. Like people want connection and to have connection with their care providers is so, so important to help them to feel normal, to feel human, to feel like I'm sitting across from a human and I'm not being judged because of the things that I'm going through. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it, it levels the playing field as mm -hmm. well. Like mm -hmm. we're so caught up in titles and form and fashion that the ability to see you as me and me as you right. is really right. what, what transcends right. care. So right. also about another thing, right? The things being a minister, mm. um, how do you transect that line specifically mm -hmm either someone who now has life has dealt them such a blow that they can't even mm -hmm. get to God. They question mm -hmm. the why they question mm -hmm. the God in their circumstances. You know, how have you, um, you know, bridged that gap, if you will, or right. specifically, or also with clients that may be of a different faith? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I say all the time, my, my therapist and my minister are in a constant battle. Like my therapist and my minister are constantly fighting. And I sometimes, even if I'm like ministering, if I'm in church, I have to like, okay, like what hat am I putting on right now or whatever the case is? Because sometimes there is a conflict, right? There is a conflict, especially when I have clients who come to me specifically because they know I'm a minister and they want that Christian, they want that Christian spirituality aspect, right? I am one where I am a therapist who happens to be Christian. I'm not a Christian therapist. And the reason why I say that is because sometimes I think people come to Christian therapists and they just want Bible. And while you're going to get Bible, I still deeply believe in clinical tools to be able to help you, to be able to marry with that. So if you just want Bible, um, I'm not the therapist for you because I do believe in clinical tools and we're going to dissect it all. We're going to do, we're going to do the mind shifting and the cognitive restructuring. And we're going to pair that along with the word of God, which I think is really important. And this is no shade against any therapist who specifically are just Bible-based only, but that's my deeply held belief, right? And so when you talk about bridging the gap, what I always try to do is look at the word of God and try to find those biblical examples that pair up exactly with what it is that people are dealing with today. If we read the Bible, um, and if you read the Bible in a certain way, mental health is all throughout the Bible. Like we would like with the prophets, the people of God, the disciples, the apostles, you can always pull something out. And so what I try to do is even in that human these biblical characters so people can see and then walking them through okay how does what god did and how did when they got their freedom and healing how does that pair up with certain clinical tools and how do those clinical how are those clinical tools able to help you so for me it's always finding a way to marry the two and then figuring out you know what right now do you need more 
do you need more of the minister or do you need more of the therapist? Because I mm. think that that's important. Depending on what my client is dealing with or what issue we're dealing with, I have to decide in that moment, do you need more of the clinical, let's dissect this thought therapist or do you need God in this moment, right? And I have some clients who, will they, they from the up, up the bat, I came to you because I know you're a woman of God. That frees me up and that opens me up to do what, I, what it is that I'm going to do, right? But I have clients who don't they don't do faith at all or they don't want anything to do with that minister side of me and that's fine but what i found is is that the bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust the word of god is going to work no matter what right regardless so yeah i'm telling you <laughs> First Corinthians 13, 12 says, what I do is I've learned to take biblical principles and help them to apply it to their life without necessarily saying, this is what the Bible says or what God says, right? Um, because the, the Bible works. Like, that's just my, my belief. The Bible works. The word of God works. And so it's me being a student of the word, but also a student of my expertise and learning how the two work together to be able to apply those principles, whether I get to say Jesus or we're not in a session that makes sense yeah yeah and and honestly being an unapologetic about it i mean yes there, there's so many times years ago even in my training like you watch a baby descending a canal of a woman a whole human like yeah you yeah. know someone just sur surviving it from breath to breath you Come know on. i i don't i don't know any other any other way you know, so I, I feel that on so many levels. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my next question is about, we talk about the, you know, I've heard you speak of the green monster, right? Yeah. So tell us about that. I know what you have shared, but I want you to share for the CarePod audience about, you know, the green monsters in our lives. You know, I've been dwelling on that thing in terms of caregiving and mm -hmm. being a personal professional caregiver, you know, and, and even to go as far as to say that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but mm -hmm. as caregivers walking around literally with a pulse of fear every day, yeah. when yeah. you're going to get the yeah. call, is there going to be an mm -hmm. emergency? Is this person mm -hmm. safe? Are they going to fall? It, mm -hmm. you know, like that does not end. Yeah. And so yeah. kind of con confronting that directly you know, it is my mm -hmm. own, I would say in full transparency, my own green monster in a sense of, mm -hmm. you know, really setting boundaries for myself as just for my own self-care as a mother, yeah. as a wife, to be able to say, you know what, God's got her. I, I have to let go. I have to go take the mm -hmm. trip. I have to go do this. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So tell us, uh, tell us about uh, the green monster and, and how you kind of use that teaching both, you know, one-on-one -on -one with your clients. And also mm -hmm. I want to speak to what you're doing professionally because we're an international audience. So I, I want to mm -hmm. give listeners the opportunity to connect with you as well. Yeah. So um, the ugly green monsters, you know, I wrote about that in uh, my first book, Jumpstart Your Journey to Mental Wellness Strategies and Tools to Living Your Well Life. And I remember um, growing up, my grandmother um, used to scare all the grandchildren. She would call him Ugly. Ugly was the monster that lived in the closet. And if we were being bad, she would call Ugly to come out the closet to get us, right? And we knew that Ugly lived in a closet. And 
as I got older and when I was writing a book, I started to realize that we all have an ugly in our closet, that ugly green monster that lives in a closet that people try to keep locked away and they try to hide it, but it's there. It's living, it's breathing, it's there. It's not going anywhere, but we just try to keep it in a closet. And for what I found for many is that that ugly green monster is mental health, right? It's the secrets in the family, right? It's the secrets about atrocities being done in the family that's covered up. It's the mental health, the severe mental illnesses that people are dealing with that people try not to acknowledge. It's the toxicity in families that, you know, we we try not to acknowledge. It's all of those things that comprise a person's mental health. And for many of us, we keep that thing locked in a closet and we try not to acknowledge it. The problem is, is that the more we don't acknowledge these ugly green monsters, they grow bigger and they grow bigger and they grow bigger. And eventually the closet can no longer contain them, right? You know how they usually say the things that you starve will die? That is not true of your mental health. That is true mm. of every other thing. But your mental health, that is not true. If you don't feed it, and when I say feed it, I'm not talking about feeding it and the toxicity, but I'm talking about nurturing it, taking care of it, tending to it. If you don't tend to it, it's going to grow bigger, bigger, bigger. And then eventually it's going to seep out the closet, right? It's going to start to come through the cracks. It's going to start to seep through the little cracks of the closet until eventually it's going to make a full outbreak. It's going to make a full outbreak and everybody can see it, right? And even though we don't acknowledge the monster, everybody knows that it's there, but nobody acknowledges it. And so one of the things that I, I deeply believe in in my I work, you know, with clients um, and even that I've had to acknowledge in my own life is helping people to come to terms to face their ugly green monster. What you don't name cannot be treated. If I die, if I don't diagnose it, then I don't have a treatment for it. Right. Um, because now I'm running around trying to do stuff and I'm, you know, you have an upset stomach, but I'm treating a headache. It's ineffective. And that's often what we're doing. We're treating the headache when the issue is the upset stomach. Right. Because we mm -hmm. don't want to acknowledge that the stomach, the stomach is upset. And so one of the things that I do in my work with my clients is helping them to go through this journey of embracing their story. It's the first chapter of my book. And I also do mindset coaching. And the first thing we do in mindset coaching is I force my clients down a path of looking back over your life. What is your story? What are the themes and patterns that we see connected to your story? What happened with your parents? What happened down your bloodline and stuff like that? Identifying those ugly green monsters, because once they're identified, no matter how painful it is, now that we've named it, now we can do something about it directly rather than treating all the symptoms. Let's get to the root. And so for me, the concept of using an ugly green monsters really helps us to bring awareness and it helps us to address head on what it is. And, and here's the thing. Some people are hiding it. But as we go down generations, I have found I really didn't know it was there. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know certain things existed in my bloodline because nobody talked about it. And so one day I found myself dealing with something. And then mama, grandma was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, uncle so-and-so. And it's just like, you know, so for some people, it's bringing it up so that they have this realization. And for some people, it's let's just look at this thing head on, because the first step to freedom is knowing what it is that I'm dealing with, then I can take the steps towards it. Absolutely. So how do you go there in terms of your professional, um, I, I would say field work. So for our CarePod audience, you, you know, you are on the lecture circuit, you do professional mental health seminars, uh, conferences mm -hmm. and the like. 
can international clients meet with you um, via Zoom, et cetera? What are your offerings? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually um, just launched my mindset coaching program, which I'm super excited about. So as a therapist, I can only work with those in the state I live in. But as a coach, I can actually work internationally. So I'm super excited. And my mindset coaching program is exactly on these things. It's literally, it's like a four to eight week program, depending on which package you sign up for. And we literally go through these steps that by the end of the program, the one guarantee that I make for people is that they're going to have a shift in their mindset towards it's certain, even if just one aspect of their life and in the process of achieving a goal or having achieved the goal at the end of it. Because a lot of times our mindset is what stops us from moving forward. And we do the same kind of work. We get into the ugly green monsters. We look at your stories. We look at the things and patterns. We talk about coping um, constructively and destructively. We talk about affirmation and how to use that as a part of shifting your mindset and all of that. And so I absolutely am available to meet with an international audience, a national audience on a one-on-one basis. Basis, you can do one-on-one coaching, or I do have a group coaching program as well. Okay, so let us know what, uh, how to find you. Tell Absolutely. us specifically the the contact information. Yes, so I am on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at Oasis Wellness Group. You can also find me on Facebook at Oasis Wellness Group. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, My LinkedIn is Chanel McCord. You can find me at Chanel McCord. But everything that I do, all of my offerings, even my links to my social media are on my website. My website is www.oasiswellnessgrp.org. Again, that's W www.oasiswellnessgrp.org. You'll be able to see all of the offerings um, that I offer through my business practice as well as through I offer through coaching. I love it. And lastly, fill in the blank because what I what I love about a good clinician or someone who knows what they bring to the table is Chanel will tell you I am the best. And I love it. So, and what I love about that is it's not about, you know, oh, I decided to do this during COVID. Uh, Although, you know, COVID blessed you in a different way. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what it, I am the best because. I am the best because I see people in their humanity and I don't judge them or shame them for it. Mic drop. Well. I I think that that says it all. That says it all. Mm -hmm. I appreciate your time with us today. And I hope that uh, we have clients all over. We're international here over on these parts. So I hope that you're able to reach out and uh, connect with some folks because mental health and green monsters need some some TLC. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Thanks so much. Thank you again for having us. Thank you. Great information right from the source. For more information on how to caregive like a boss, check out impactfulcaregiving.com. Want to be a guest on the show? Contact us at carepod at impactfulcaregiving.com.